I often wonder what goes through people's minds when they hear certain words that we use in church. Words like incarnation or redemption or, or grace. Now, I have a hunch that a lot of people confuse incarnation with reincarnation, which is something totally different. And redemption, well, that's something one used to do with green stamps. Do you remember those? I know, you got to be old like me to remember that. As for grace, well, that is indeed a strange word. Now, there's a hymn in the hymn book of many churches, including our own. I think it's LSB 686. And it's titled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it, well, it contains some language that I feel is bound to cause confusion. Now, it starts out great. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. So far, so good. But then comes the second verse, which begins, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. I must confess that I haven't a clue what goes through most folks' minds when they sing that verse. And I'm not sure that I even want to know. I mean, what on earth is an Ebenezer? And why, why would we want to raise one in church? Is it Ebenezer Scrooge? Well, fortunately, we clergy have things like the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible. And we can turn to that when we're puzzled by such strange language. So I looked it up. Ebenezer means literally stone of help. And it refers to a monument which the Israelites erected in the Promised Land after a successful battle against the Philistines. My point, well, my point is that many times we use strange language in the church. Odd words which one doesn't often hear anywhere else. Words which need some explanation as to their meaning and grace is just one such word. Now, outside a church, one doesn't hear the word very much. Oh, sometimes it's used in a newspaper review to describe the free-flowing movement of a ballet dancer, for example. Sometimes it's used to indicate a considerate or thoughtful attitude of one person toward another. So we speak of someone being gracious or graceful. Ernest Hemingway wants to find courage as grace under pressure. But usually outside of church, well, we just don't hear the word very much. But in church, we hear it a lot. I mean, one of the favorite benedictions, and I'll use it later, one of the favorite benedictions of the church is to say, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, or y'all, if you're in the South. And in the prologue to the fourth gospel, John says that in Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh, and from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The word literally means we have received grace heaped on top of grace. But what on earth does the writer mean? What is grace? Well, some churches seem to give the impression that grace is something which God has given to the church. 
in which the church in turn ladles out to deserving parishioners who say the right prayers or do the right good deeds. I know that sometimes as a child, I pictured grace as something which the pastor would dip his brush into and daub on your forehead if you were properly penitent. Or like a huge cauldron of soup, which would be ladled out into our little bowls if we approached the church properly. Sort of like Oliver Twist, asking with bowl in hand if he can have some more. I thought of grace as a substance. There's only so much of it to go around. And well, you're lucky if you happen to get some of it splashed on you. And unlucky if you didn't. I realized that was a childish view of grace and like St. Paul, when I became an adult, I put away childish things. And I began to study the Bible and, well, discovered that grace is not a substance at all. Grace is not a thing, but it's rather a theological code word used to describe the completely undeserved and unlimited love of God. One of my favorite writers, Frederick Beekner, has a knack for translating theological terms into everyday language. And in his little book, Wishful Thinking, he describes grace this way. He says, grace is something you can never get, but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream one of my favorites, or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. He says a good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace, and loving someone in return is grace. The grace of God means something like, here's your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world, God says. Beautiful and wonderful things will happen. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I love you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you. I created the universe. I love you. Now, there's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. And Beekner says, maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. <laughs> well, that's exactly what Saul did in our text today. I know you're wondering if I would ever get around to the text. <laughs> well, here we are. Think about Saul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul is going along in the same mindset he's had for a while. He's been practicing a passionate mission to round up Christians worshiping Jesus, and he's been throwing them in jail at best, killing them at worst. So now he's headed for Damascus, where he's heard that there's a significant gathering of Christians. And yeah, he's got his posse with him, so he means to take back to Jerusalem all the Jesus followers he can, as many as he can find. And then, with no warning whatsoever, brilliant, flashing, blinding light crashes around Saul. And immediately, he's thrown off his horse to the ground, stunned and blinded. 
Now, just as he's saying, what the, <laughs> the voice of Jesus resounds, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, in his confusion, asked, who are you? To which the voice responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. In darkness, Saul is directed to go into the city and to wait. Saul remains blinded for three days. Now, where have we heard three days before? <laughs> I mean, what an experience, but that's not the punchline of the story. The real punchline is that when Saul's sight returns, he's not the same man, not even close. So much so that no one knows what the heck happened to him. Paul just starts preaching, and he never shuts up again. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But why? God explains why to Ananias, who will lay hands upon Saul, healing his darkness and commissioning him for new insight and new ministry in the name of Jesus. He says, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul will go on to become the greatest evangelist of the early church. Saul is gone. Paul is born. Boom! Drop the mic. But it wasn't an easy birthing. Saul's ego and his agenda had to be disrupted before he could be healed and refocused. It's as though Saul has not only had a name change, but a heart transplant. He's a completely different person. Saul's vicious anger, his killing frenzy, his willful ignorance about Jesus has been completely replaced by the heart of God. That's what grace does. Grace is God is heart surgeon, cracking open your chest, removing your heart, poisoned as it is with pride and pain, and replacing it with his own. Rather than tell you to change, he creates the change. Do you clean up so he can accept you? No, he accepts you and then begins cleaning you up just like he did with Saul. You see, God's dream isn't just to get you into heaven, but to get heaven into you. And what a difference this makes. Can't forgive your enemy? Can't face tomorrow? Can't forgive your past? Christ can. And he's on the move, aggressively budging you from graceless to grace-shaped living. Grace, then, is, well, it's just everything Jesus. Grace lives because Jesus does. Grace works because Jesus works. Grace matters because Jesus matters. To be saved by grace, well, it's to be saved by Jesus. Not by an idea or a doctrine or a creed or, or a church membership, but by Jesus himself. Jesus not only died for you on the cross so that your sins would not be counted against you, but he also lives in you so that God's love would shine through you forever and not just in heaven, but right here on earth as well. As Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ 
lives in me. So grace isn't just a philosophy or, or ideal or, or even the influence of Christ that lives in you, but the person of Jesus Christ. He moved in at your baptism, and he still lives in you. You know, too many Christians miss this truth. Too often we grasp all the other prepositions. I mean, Christ for me, Christ with me, Christ ahead of me, Christ beside me. And we know that we're working under Christ and with Christ. But do you grasp that Christ is in you? If not, don't blame it on the Bible. Paul refers to this union in Scripture 216 times, and John mentions it another 26. 1 John 4.15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. No other religion or philosophy makes such a claim. No other movement implies a living presence of its founder and its followers. Muhammad doesn't indwell Muslims. Buddha does not inhabit Buddhists' influence, in instruction, entice, yes. But Occupy, no way. But Jesus lives in us. We belong to him. But even more, we are increasingly him. He moves in and commandeers our hands and feet. He requisitions our minds and tongues. He repurposes bad decisions and poor choices. And little by little, a new image emerges. Romans 8:29. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. And so, my friends, that's what grace is all about. It's not a philosophy, not an ideal, not a substance. It's not something you get or acquire. It is the gift of God himself, living in you and changing your heart forever. And so may I say once again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.